Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 209 for August 13, 2009. The Vitamin D Story. Security Now is brought to you by Go to Assist Express, an easy way to provide instant tech support to your customers, clients, family, or friends. Be a tech support hero with Go to Assist. For a free 30-day trial, go to gotoassist.com/security. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers all things secure, privacy, and such with our great friend, mentor, and security guru, Steve Gibson. Hey, Steve. Well, usually that's Um, what we cover. No security today? Uh, Well, no, we've got a bunch of news, and we're going to run through the news of the week, things that are uh, important and impacting uh, our listeners. But this is the first episode. This is number 209 the first episode of year five, and we're going to wow. do something. We're going to do something different this week, and only this week. Okay. I, I don't want to worry and freak out our listeners, but um, something has really come onto my radar that I, f- I almost feel I have an obligation just to share once. You know, it's. I mean, I'm I'm taking action on it with myself, my friends, my family, everyone who's important to me. And uh, so, you know, our listeners are important to me and I want to, if nothing else, sort of plant a seed that may take root, that it may be a couple of years from now when they hear something else. It's like, oh, now I know that's important. Whereas, you know, I might tend to think, well, Gibson's not a doctor. So what does he know about this? Um, and I'm not. I'm just a sort of a health hobbyist. Um, As but we I've all stumbled- should be since it is our health. Well, yes, Exactly. I stumbled on something which is, I think, very important. I will, I'm, you know, going to be, I'm not going to go overboard about it, but um, I want to just spend this podcast sort of, I, so that I've said my piece and I'm going to, I mean, I've done two months worth of research every day on the issue and I want to explain what's going on, uh, uh, run through some of the studies which have been done. I've put together a page on GRC, which, which covers this topic so that, you know, everything that I'm talking about, I've got links to, so people can follow up and do additional research. If they're so motivated, if not, I completely understand there, you know, there's a whole spectrum of people from people who, you know, just think, Oh, well, whatever happens happens to people who are real interventionists and, you know, taking, you know, hundreds of, of supplements a day, you know, and, and everything in between. So, uh, I, I, what I can promise is as always a podcast, which is really, I believe will be thought provoking and interesting for anybody who has a body. Wow. I can't wait. But before then, is there any security news? Oh, baby. <laughs> um, I noticed turn- that my Macs all wanted to update today. Yes, you turned on your Mac. Yeah. Uh, I turned mine on earlier and got a big update. Uh, what we were taken to uh, by Apple 
was version 10.5.8. Anything prior to that, whether Mac OS X or OS X server, has some significant problems. And in the past, I've sort of stopped there, but I thought that this was interesting enough. I want to just really quickly run through a brief itemization of what happened today to give us to give some balance um, and and to draw some conclusions a little bit about what's going on with Apple. Uh, so what was fixed? Um, there was a problem in the BZIP2 library, and this is coming from Apple's own page. Decompressing maliciously crafted data may lead to an unexpected application termination. And it says an out of bounds memory access exists in BZIP2. That's opening probably malicious- an open source library, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Opening a maliciously crafted compressed file may lead to an unexpected application termination. This update addresses the issue by updating BZIP2 to version 1.0.5. Next, CF Network, a maliciously crafted website, may control the displayed website URL in a certificate warning. Their description is when Safari reaches a website via a 302 redirection and a certificate warning is displayed, the warning will contain the original website URL instead of the current website URL. Whoops. This may allow a maliciously crafted website that is reached via an open redirector on a user-trusted website to control the displayed website URL in a certificate warning. This issue was addressed by returning the correct URL in the underlying CF network layer. Um, Next, ColorSync. Impact. Viewing a maliciously crafted image with an embedded ColorSync profile may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. A heat buffer overflow exists in the handling of images with an embedded color sync profile. Opening a maliciously crafted image with an embedded color sync profile may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. This update addresses the issue by performing additional validation of color sync profiles. Core types. Issues are not warned before opening certain potentially unsafe content types, this update extends the system's list of content types that will be flagged as potentially unsafe under certain circumstances, such as when they are downloaded from a web page. The, with, while these content types are not automatically launched, if manually opened, they could lead to the execution of a malicious JavaScript payload. This update improves the system's ability to notify users before handling content types used by Safari. There's a problem in the dock. A person with physical access to a locked system may use four-finger multi-touch gestures. The screensaver does not block four-finger multi-touch gestures, which may allow a person with physical access to a locked system to manage applications or use expose. This update addresses the issue by properly blocking multi-touch gestures when the screensaver is running. This issue only affects systems with multi-touch trackpad. Um, Raw image problems. Viewing a maliciously crafted Canon raw image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. A stack buffer overflow exists in the handling of Canon raw images. Viewing a maliciously crafted Canon raw image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. This update addresses the issue through improved bounds checking. For Mac OS X version 10.4 systems, 
This issue is already addressed with digital camera raw compatibility update 2.6. Then there is a bunch of problems in ImageIO. Viewing a maliciously crafted open EXR image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. A heat buffer overflow exists in ImageIO's handling of open EXR images. Viewing a maliciously crafted open EXR image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. Um, and we got another one of those with this time from an un- un- uninitialized memory access issue, which exists in image IOs handling of open EXR images. And then same thing again, viewing a maliciously crafted open EXR image, uh, multiple image integer overflows exist in image IOs handling of open EXR images. And then even a fourth one, a buffer overflow exists in image IOs handling of EXIF metadata. Viewing a maliciously crafted image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. And a fifth one, processing a maliciously crafted PNG image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. And here an uninitialized pointer exists in the handling of PNG images. Processing a maliciously crafted PNG image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. In the kernel, there's a, a problem with the handling of, of, of uh, FCNTL system calls, which would allow a local user to overwrite kernel memory and execute arbitrary code with full system privileges. So they update fixes that. There's a denial of service problem in, in INET-based launch D services, which can cause it to stop accepting incoming connections under cer- certain circumstances. This update addresses that. A format string issue in the login window may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. There's a problem with mobile me not removing credentials. A logic issue exists in the mobile me preference pane. Signing out of the preference pane does not delete all the credentials. So a person with access to the local user account could continue to access any other system associated with the MobileMe account, which had previously been signed in for that account. So the update fixes that. A problem with networking. Receiving a maliciously crafted Apple Talk response packet may lead to arbitrary code execution with system privileges or an unexpected system shutdown. Uh, due to a buffer overflow that exists in the kernel's handling of Apple Talk response packages. Um, in networking, also... A synchronization issue exists in the handling of file descriptor sharing over local sockets. So that's not such a big problem. But finally, in XQuery, processing maliciously crafted XML content may lead to arbitrary code execution. A buffer overflow exists in the handling of character classes in regular expressions in the Perl-compatible regular expressions, that is the PCRE library used by XQuery. This may allow a remote attacker to execute arbitrary code via a regular expression containing a character class with a large number of characters with Unicode code points greater than 255. The update fixes that. So there's, you know, a bundle of stuff that was just fixed all at once. They feel less severe. That's how Apple does it, by the way. Yes, they feel less severe to me overall than the kind of things that Microsoft reports. Although Microsoft, Apple does also tend to report less openly than Microsoft yeah, does. Yeah. They, they're, they're, they're not 
doing the complete level of full disclosure that Microsoft does. And as, they don't as, have uh, that, uh, that, that critical, uh, important uh, distinction and all of that stuff. They just kind of say, this is what we fixed. Yep. And, and in fact, they often don't even say that. Yeah. They don't, in fact, I'm surprised you have that much detail, to be honest. Right. So, so, you know, I think we're seeing them opening up more. Um, it, it, overall, things seem to be better, but there are vulnerabilities that are beginning to surface from their use of, of open libraries. There's, a, there's, there's another recently surfaced XML, broad XML exploit and problem that we'll talk about in a second. So, so that takes care of Apple. There was also a problem with Sun's uh, runtime environment, the JRE, the Java runtime environment, and their development kit, the Java development kit. Um, so anyone using uh, Sun's runtime environment ought to check in and get an update. Um, I know that normally it plants an icon down in the in in the case of of Windows systems, it plants an icon down in the tray. So it's possible to say, you know, check yourself and and get updates. Um, and it's a it's a critical problem that allows uh, maliciously crafted web pages to trigger Java applets. It leverages itself with Microsoft's Active Template Library, um, that, which was a problem we've talked about with, with Visual Studio, in order to execute ActiveX controls uh, and uh, also involves a display of JPEG images. So there's a lot of things involved, but it does affect Apple OSX, uh, the uh, um, Apple's Mac OS X systems, Sun Solaris systems, many Unix and Linux-based operating systems, and of course... Uh, Microsoft is no longer doing their own. They have now saying, well, if you want it, get it from Sun. So um, so it affects uh, Windows systems that have that installed as well. Yeah. Microsoft gave us, uh, we just crossed our second Tuesday of the month, and they gave us uh, their typical big batch of goodies. Um, one, two, three, four <laughs> criticals, um, vulnerabilities in Office web components that allow remote, remote code execution, using a uh, specially crafted web page. Um, interesting, a vulnerability in remote desktop connection. There's, you know, the standard Microsoft remote desktop system, which is used uh, for, for, you know, displaying Windows desktops remotely and also um, in the, in the uh, you know, I want help, uh, I'll send you an invitation to access my computer mode. Um, in one mode, it doesn't sound very secure. It says the vulnerabilities could allow remote execution if an attacker successfully convinced a user of terminal services to, con to connect to their malicious RDP, remote desktop uh, protocol server. Well, that seems, you know, unlikely. You know, here, you know, <laughs> I need you to take over my computer and view my. <laughs> Come desktop. on in, guys. <laughs> Come on in. Exactly. On the other and hand, if you could get a script get to execute that would make that do that, maybe that well, would be a problem. And that's part two is or if a visitor visits a specially crafted yeah. website, then it's possible to exploit this through scripting that, ca that, that get causes the same exploit. So, yes, there is a there is that also, which does seem to be much more problematical. So that's why Microsoft gave it a critical and it does allow them, you know, a full takeover of your system. Uh, there's also a new problem, which they fixed or, or newly discovered uh, in Windows media file processing, allowing remote code execution. Uh, my qu quoting from Microsoft, two vulnerabilities 
could allow remote code execution if a user opened a specially crafted AVI file. Hmm. If a user is logged on with administrative user rights, an attacker who successfully exploited this vulnerability could take complete control of an affected system. An attacker could then install programs, view, change, or delete data, or create new accounts with full user rights. Users whose accounts are configured to have fewer user rights on the system could be less impacted than users who operate with administrative user rights. So we're glad that's gone. And then we've got what appears to be another fix to vulnerabilities in Microsoft's Active Template Library. Remember that we talked about those problems um, several weeks ago. Um, and so this security update resolves several privately reported vulnerabilities in Microsoft's Active Template Library. The vulnerabilities could allow remote code execution if a user loaded a specially crafted component or control hosted on a malicious website. So, yes, this is different than the previous fix, which was where the Active Template Library was not honoring the the kill bits, which which is the is the. You know, we've talked about this a number of times is the way Microsoft prevents their their um, their ActiveX controls, which were never intended to be loaded by IE from being honored and loaded by IE. So there um, but that turns out there was a way around that. Whoops. So that's been fixed um, uh, previously. And then there's four other just important vulnerabilities that I won't go into. Basically, it's the same uh, you know, advice as always, which is keep your windows updated um, and, and currently patched. We do have a substantial, I mentioned this uh, earlier, a, a common library flaw in at the XML library that a huge number of open source utilities and systems are using. Um, a Finnish security research group discovered flaws in the XML libraries uh, used by, for example, uh, Sun Microsystems, Apache, and Python, which are consequently all known to be vulnerable because they've used this. Uh, the discovery was made, we sort of talked about this approach before also, um, they used a, a, a program that they call CROSS, which is uh, Codenomicon, um, which is the name of their firm, this Finnish security firm, Codenomicon Robust Open Source Software, C-R-O-S-S. It uses what they call software fuzzers to b basically test the security of open source programs by throwing manipulated data at them, basically, you know, throwing all kinds of things at them and seeing if they crash. And if they do, finding out what happened and whether there's a way to exploit that crash. So they tested every open source library and all were found to contain vulnerabilities, although the severity varied from one library to the next. And quoting from them, they said the bugs are, quote, related to the parsing of XML elements with unexpected byte values and recursive parentheses, which cause the program to access memory out of bounds or to loop indefinitely. Um, and this is from the, the Finnish CERT, the Finnish version of Computer Emergency Re Response Team um, that has been working um, with these guys to coordinate fixes among the different software providers. They went on to say that there are libraries built on the C language, which are at the highest risk because exploits can include the execution um, attacks in the libraries. They said, quote, unfortunately, 
most libraries out there are written in C, and thus errors such as stack overflows are not that uncommon. Um, when this is the case, exploitability depends on other anti-exploitation features that are available on the platform, such as ASLR, we've talked about before, address space layout randomization, uh, DEP, data execution prevention, NX bits, the no execute bits, which are increasingly available, and so forth. So um, what that means is that shortly we will expect updates to Apache and Python and, I mean, literally a whole raft of other tools that are using the XML common library and exposing the features of the library in a way that someone maliciously could use in order to crash or potentially commandeer the system that is using that. So that's not good. Yeah. Uh, I got a kick out of a, uh, a new piece of scareware. There's a fake blue screen of death scareware. Just thought I would advise our listeners. And, and it's, it's interesting because it, it was discovered by Sunbelt Software, our guys down, um, you know, Alex um, down in uh, Florida. Uh, it infects the system through fake codec and flash player update packages. Oh that have been planted on malicious sites. But what's funny is that it displays on top of the blue screen of death, it displays a red pop-up warning, which directs people saying, we've scanned your system. We found problems. This is why the blue screen of death has occurred. Press here in order to pursue a fix. Well, there you can't have a pop-up warning on top of a blue screen of death. Right, I mean, the, right. that's like the, the fatal whole system lockup, you know, screen of last resort when there's absolutely nothing Windows can do except, you know, drop you back into text mode and display this text page. And, you know, you're, you're, you're hosed at that point. So the idea, I mean, I'm, my sense is that our listeners are sophisticated enough to go, wait a minute, uh, a blue screen of death with a pop-up notice? I don't think so. But you know, there's a certain class of people who may not understand that. Although, frankly, I would wonder if less sophisticated users know what a BSOD is and why this particular screen would scare them. But anyway, it exists. So if our listeners, you know, run across other people who uh, are hey, say, hey, I got a blue screen of death or that thing you talked to me about before, but I got it's got a red pop up notice. What should I do? It's like, oh, well, now we'll know what's going on. And then in we have two bits of, of interesting news. Um, certainly, uh, what made the news since you and I have talked last, Leo, was the denial of service attack that if, that caused a Twitter outage. Yes, for, yes. For many Boy, hours. Boy, is that was that a fascinating story too? Yeah, and of course, it also took out or like not a, not to the same degree that that the Twitter was, but Facebook, YouTube, and LiveJournal were all affected. And there was a lot of misinformation and people wondering what was going on or what the cause was. Some people called it a denial of service attack, you know, like a botnet would launch. I mean, it sort of seemed that way. But later reports showed that there was a spam campaign that, that went out yeah. containing links to specific blog posts on Facebook, YouTube and live journal, oh, and I mean, and primarily Twitter. And so, so the theory was that people responding to the spam may have clicked the links. And so it was just a traditional overload 
of one specific server, presumably, where where this one person's blog posts were located. So maybe not, you know, a traditional botnet-based denial of service at all, but just a whole bunch of people going to the same place. And apparently Twitter's network is not as robust as, as for example, Facebook, YouTube, and LiveJournal. In fact, I, I read one report that said that Twitter... They literally, their DNS provider is DyingDNS.com. And it's like, what? That's who they're using? That's who Twitter uses for DNS? That seems rather, you know, Bush League to me. So, you know, it sounds like maybe Twitter needs to spend some more money on their infrastructure. Their infrastructure is messed up big time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is uh, not a good thing for them because uh, when they go down like this, and by the way, they've been up and down ever since. So we're down again yesterday for the uh. same reason. Um it, it makes people kind of say, well, I guess I'm not going to be considering this a mission critical application for me. Well, and what's interesting too, I mean, it's unlike websites where it's like, oh, I can't get there. I'll come back later. Oh, no, yeah. You know, Twitter is all about real time yeah. interaction yeah, and flow. Exactly. And, you know, and, and what, of course, made the news was that lots of people have become minor Twitter addicts and they're, they get hooked on this constant flow of nonsense well frankly. more more to the point uh, i know you think it's nonsense it's not but more to the point uh, yeah. there are a lot of businesses that rely on this and have actually made it a part of their uh pr strategy uh, there was one company that was going to do a product launch that morning and this is how twitter plans to monetize I and mean, this is key to twitter's future oh. and if they can't provide a reliable system to do that uh people are going to start using facebook which is sitting out there going yeah we, we were up we handled it because they were attacked too. And does Facebook have this offer a Twitter compatible? I mean, a, a Twitter like service? More, more and more so, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're, they're definitely moving in that direction. And I think what's going to happen, I mean, this is a discussion for a different show. And we certainly talk a lot about it on other shows. But, uh, it, you know, it shows, though, that uh, poor security or poor infrastructure or being attacked can really hurt a business. I mean, it really uh, can significantly impact a business. And I think it will impact Twitter very much. Well, and, you know, frankly, I was I when when this came to mind, it was like, wow, I wonder if, you know, first of all, it's a little bit surprising they hadn't been hit before. They are infrastructure wise, apparently very vulnerable, so easy to take down. And one I know and I was wondering, gee, I mean, again, I don't have any information about this, um, but whether they might have been it doesn't look like they were, you know, victims of of um some blackmail it's like hey you want to stay on the air it's very important to you guys specifically right. especially right. to stay on the air uh we're gonna knock you off unless you pay us yep so who knows um and then my final bit of news comes from uh some researchers at uc berkeley who discovered from poking around that more than half of the internet's top websites are now using flash cookies Oh. to track users oh. and store information about them, but that only four of those sites mention their use of flash cookies in their privacy policies. And just to um, to refresh our users' memories, our, our listeners' memories, um, you know, traditional cookies are browser cookies, and probably everybody knows about them. There's a, a UI that's very available and visible on browsers that allows you to manage your cookies, to delete them, to turn them into session cookies so they're not persistent, you know, to allow some sites to keep cookies and others not to and so forth. Flash cookies are are Adobe slash Macromedia's 
own completely separate channel, which allows data to be stored, surprisingly large amount of data, actually per website, much more so than cookies, in a, in a, in a channel which is completely separate from your browser. So um, it will be something that GRC will be addressing. I've got a, a lot of research that's in the process of, of getting itself ready to come online, just needs more documentation about about browser cookies for for educating people. And uh, it has been pointed out to me a year ago, more than a year ago, that flash cookies are on the rise. Well, here we are now, more than half of the internet sites are using flash cookies. The only reason they would be doing that is that they're no longer happy with the tracking they're getting from regular cookies. And what that means is, since still all browsers default to having cookies enabled, since that was part of the original specification for the web, was that you know a server can give a browser client a cookie, which it will then return in order to identify itself. Well, users don't want to be tracked, so they're turning their browser cookies off. But websites are not accepting their choice not to be tracked. They're saying, well, we're going to track you anyway. Even though you've disabled your browser cookies, we're going to be even more sneaky because our website requires Flash and everybody pretty much has Flash who's on the net now. So where possible, we're going to give you an even stickier cookie through the Flash mechanism in order to hold on to you, which, you know, doesn't seem right. But that's what's going on. More than half of the Internet's top sites. Wow. So I'm going to skip SpinWrite today because I have a lot that I want to talk about. Um, well, and I know you want to mention our sponsor, and then absolutely. we're going to talk about uh, today's topic. Something very different for the show, but uh, I'm very interested in this. And already, by the way, people who are watching at home live are saying, is, is Steve a little tanner than usual? <laughs> Steve just, has he, been, has he been spending some time outside, perhaps? So I think we might be on to something here. We'll find out in just a little bit. But I do want to mention our friends at Citrix. You know, they're a great sponsor of the show. And uh, a product that they really have designed for people like you, our listeners, it's called Go to Assist Express. We started using Go to Assist on the screensavers seven years ago, six years ago. I'm not sure exactly how long ago as a way of actually getting into people's computers and fixing their problems on the TV show. Now, there's they've come a long way since those days. That was an amazing tool. Go to Assist Express is even easier, faster, simpler and less expensive then it's Big Brother, and it is just right for you if you're in the support business. Whether you have a, a product that you support, um, whether you are an IT professional, maybe you, you, uh, you're you an enterprise support professional, this is something you should look at. In fact, if, you've, if you're a boss, a manager who has uh, support people on, uh, that work for you, this is something you're going to want to take a look at. You could try it free for 30 days with this special address. Go to Assist, G-O-T-O-A-S-S-I-S-T, go to Assist dot com slash security uh once you sign in there you could set it up and you you get a free trial so you know that you can really see but let me give you some of the reasons why this is better than just everyday remote access first of all it's from citrix so it's based on their state-of-the-art top-of-the-line world-class award-winning remote access products never been cracked always been secure 128-bit ssl encrypted end-to-end you know you get all those features citrix really good 24-7 support, all of those features, but additional features for the Support Pro. Eight unattended sessions, for instance. That means, you, you know, you don't have to have the 
your your uh, your support e your your user there you can they you can get into their system and and run it and not just one but eight different sessions so i don't have to tell you this is so great when you start an install on one system or something's working on another you're doing an index or a scan you just you don't have to sit there and wait you go to the next system it makes you much more efficient uh, you can, of course, start sessions with a user who's sitting there. Use, they have built-in chat. You can email them a link. You can call them and say, here's the link. It's very easy for them. They go to gotoassist.com and, uh, and, and, and you know, it's, they, it walks them through it. Uh, they have some nice features, too, uh, for diagnosing problems. For instance, you can get a complete survey of what's running on that system, exactly which operating system down to the version number. Uh, exactly what security software, other running software. You can drag and drop files from your computer to their computer, then run them. So if you've got a fix, a patch, uh, you know, something you want to run on their system, it's very easy to do. I can go on and on. I want you to try it. It really is a spectacular product. Um, it was funny because I'd used GoToAssist for so long, and then I tried GoToAssist Express, and I said, wow, this is it. This is great. I, I just used it with my mom a couple of days ago. GOTOAssist.com slash security gives you 30 days absolutely free uh you're gonna like it. it it really is you know i'm not this is not for uh casual uh they, they do have a day pass so if you know if you if you want to help a family member or a friend you can use it but really i think it's really for somebody who does this all the time telephone support is so hard this makes it really easy go to assist.com slash security and of course we do thank them so much for supporting security now all right steve why 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 are you so tan what's going on <laughs> Well, okay, um, to give a little bit of background here, um, everyone who's been listening to this podcast for years knows that I focus on on code writing and computers and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, a hobby of mine, which I've become increasingly focused on as I've been aging, uh, has is health. And in fact, real, really, Leo, it began when I was flying up to visit you in Toronto uh, and appear on uh, Canadian uh, TV with Rogers Cable, um, I'd be at the airport and seeing people who were really, I mean, older than I, but, you know, not lots older than I, who were having trouble moving around. You know, they were already, you know, like being really careful standing up and sitting down and moving slowly. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I think at that point I was probably, 50 or maybe my very late 40s and uh, today I'm 54 and I remember just just deciding making a promise with myself that I am not going to be that person when I'm that age I mean I I'm and I'm literally literally willing to do anything it takes every single day so that so that I'm you know I'm able to jump around more or less as I am now uh, as I continue aging and my my focus is not on trying to live as long as I possibly can. I'm really not very focused on that at all. I don't care how long I live. I mean, you know, more is better. But if you if you think of a chart that shows your quality of life over time, so that on the horizontal axis is your life running from birth <coughs> to death, and the vertical axis is, you know, how you feel, your 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 physical well-being. Um, you can imagine, you know, somebody who just like, 
I don't know, who, who smokes their whole life, who abuses alcohol and, and drugs, doesn't take care of themselves. You know, they might have a relatively, you know, like, for example, a straight line decline from from birth to death where they just, you know, they don't age well and they're not having a great time toward the end of their life. Um, my goal would be to keep the slope of that line as horizontal as possible. That right. is, keep the, you know, keep health up as high as I can for as long as I can. And then to have it just drop off a cliff, you know, kill me in a week when it's finally time. But the point is that you want to, you know, from a math standpoint, you want to maximize the area under that curve. You want, you know, because that's the the most health you can have for the length of time that you're alive. So, so my, my focus on health, which I've now had uh, really to a much greater degree since I turned 50, because it was like, okay, I've got the time. Yeah. I virtualized GRC. My employees are working at home. I'm able to work with a great deal of freedom. You know, there, I have, there's no excuse not to exercise, not to, to, to make sure I'm eating well, not to, and not to do some research since I've got the internet now. We all do. Um, and it's just an amazing, it makes this information so much more available. So um, I subscribe to a, a number of newsletters and, um, and I've been focused on, um, you know, various aspects of health. I pretty much knew about cardio, you know, years and years ago, and I've, I've tried to keep myself in shape. And what happened about maybe about three months ago was... I just sort of bumped on the radar screen were various mentions of vitamin D, which was not something I'd ever looked at or thought about. Um, I was actually more aware of things like the B vitamins um, and and their importance uh, because, you know, um, food, modern food processing tends to kill off the B vitamins. They're fragile. So food is fortified basically to put back in what what, what processing kills. Um, and you know, I knew about E and C and, but somehow vitamin D had never, uh, this is something I had never really looked at very much, but I, I finally got to a point a couple of months ago where it's like, okay, you know, what's going on with this? And so I began to poke around and do some reading and, um, I thought, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Um, this is seeming much more significant than, than I recognized. And probably about four weeks ago, so about four weeks into this, I decided that, you know, this was, this was something that I, that I really needed to understand. And I also at some point figured I need to involve my family and friends and ultimately this podcast. Uh, so just for one week, I need to beg our listeners indulgence. Um, I'm going to, I, I want to share what I have learned um, and see if, you know, for the sake of information, um, maybe it will resonate with some people. Um, maybe at some point in the future, when other information surfaces, um, it'll, they'll go, Hey, wait a minute. I remember Steve talking about this, um, you know, he thought it was important. These other people think it's important. You know, maybe that will, will, um, you know, 
be enough to to catalyze some thought. So there's there's so much that's important about this. First of all, um, there's a real problem with it in that it's not a vitamin at all. Um, never really? was, never has been. Huh. Um, it what is, is a, what is a vitamin? What is a, what is the well, definition of a vitamin? By definition, a vitamin is something which you 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 do not make endogenously. That is, you do your body does not make it. It's something from from that you must acquire through nutrition from outside sources. It's an so, amino acid too, right? Isn't that what it means? Vital amino acid. Um, uh, no, maybe not. not know where the word comes from, okay. uh, but I, but I do know that it's got to be a dietary source. Well, what happened was that it was discovered because of a chronic deficiency in an unknown substance. Um, as um, as we became more industrialized and people moved from rural settings into cities, and especially as children were employed um, in buildings like in in factories, uh, they began getting rickets, which mm-hmm. is a, a severe um, um, you know underdevelopment of skeletal bones. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what happened was that uh, there was a, the discovery that cod liver oil cured this malady that that children had, and so for generations you know parents mothers would like force their kids to have a tablespoon of cod liver oil i remember that from the three stooges <laughs> yeah our, our gang yeah our na- gang, yeah. nasty oily tasting right. stuff you really don't want it but you know but it because it turns out that it's vitamin this thing called vitamin d and it's it's such a shame that it, it's been lumped in with the vitamins because it is a steroid hormone. Really? It, 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 it is a very, it, in fact, it is the most powerful steroid hormone in the human body. It is so powerful that when measured, the, the units of measurement of the active form, and I'll explain what the metabolic process is in a second, but the metabolic form is measured in picograms per milliliter. That is, you know, we have grams, then we have milligrams as a thousandth, micrograms as a millionth, nanograms as a billionth, picograms is a trillionth. So it's on the order of 20 to 50 trillionths of a gram um, in our blood. I mean, a, a, amazingly little of this goes a long way. Um, but it is found in almost no dietary Sources. That is, we cannot get D from our diet. Um, it turns out that that fatty fish is a source of D. Um, but where it comes from, the way we get it is from the sun, and which is which I think is really interesting because um, um, the the first known application for vitamin D, and really the the only the only place where it has received lots of attention is in our body's calcium metabolism. You know, it, it's, it's generally felt that, that all life on Earth came from the sea. First started in the oceans, evolved in the oceans, you know, and then literally crawled out onto land and needed to adapt. Well, the ocean is 
is a rich calcium bath. And so calcium is a, is a fundamental component of, of, you know, the way we operate. Um, and our bodies, uh, the, the human body manages and maintains the concentration of calcium to the best of its ability within relatively narrow margins. Um, we need to have enough calcium from our diet, which is, is easy to get, but you have to have vitamin D um, in, uh, in addition to calcium in order to build bone. Um, D is, is inextricably linked to calcium um, metabolism. And so, but for a long time, for hundreds of years, that's the only thing that we knew that it did. Well, looking back at sort of early humanity, we, we also know that, that we evolved in sub-Saharan equatorial East Africa. That's where, that's sort of the cradle of, of humankind. It is believed that, that when we were um, coming out of, of being apes, covered with fur, that as we evolved to be larger and, and have more muscle mass, we began to have a problem with cooling because we were generating, our larger muscles were generating too much heat. So evaporative cooling wasn't, it was having a problem if we were covered with fur. So we, we literally um, uh, lost our fur in favor of skin and and more um, evaporative capability. The problem with that was that we were then being exposed to intense sunlight, which since our skin was no longer being protected by fur. So what started out as, as light, being lighter skinned, we ended up developing a much more rich melanin content. Melanin is the pigmentation in skin. And so we ended up, literally becoming black um, in order to deal with the, the constant ec- powerful equatorial sun um, in East Africa. And so, and, and the, the, the blackness of our skin um, allowed us to, to tolerate the sun. But ever since the beginning, we were also using sun that is the ultraviolet radiation for for fundamental chemical reactions uh, which take place in our skin. A precursor of cholesterol called 7-dehydrocholesterol or 7-DHC that exists in our skin um, in abundance in youth and we lose it as we get increasingly older. Um, That 7-dehydrocholesterol is, when it is zapped by an, an ultraviolet photon, it converts that 7-dehydrocholesterol is converted into an early form of what unfortunately we have labeled vitamin D. Um, It's not stable in that form, and so it shortly uh, changes its bonds around and and just under thermal um, isomerization converts into something called cholecalciferol which is the, is the form of vitamin D that you can also get in a supplement. That's transported to our liver, where, it's, where our liver changes it through a process known as hydroxylation into the, 
vitamin D, which is measured in our bloodstream, something called 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And, and that's sort of the, the bulk storage form of, of this chemical. Our kidneys takes it the next step further, hydroxylates it again, and turns it into this super potent steroid hormone. Now, that's involved directly. It's that hormone which is involved with the regulation of, of, of calcium metabolism and our bones. It turns out, though, that many other organ systems in our body um, also have the ability to, to deal directly with vitamin D. And this is the information which is finally due to the, the advancing of our medical science finally becoming clear to people. Um, I've, I, want to, I want to shift gears here for a second and, and run through a number of recent studies which have been done just to give people um, some sense for the pervasiveness of the influence of this. I have a, um, I'm holding a, a textbook, 450 pages, titled Vitamin D, Physiology, Molecular Biology, and Clinical Applications. Um, I've read so many um, journal articles and 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 studies that I'm becoming sort of well versed with the names of these people. And in fact, if I if I look at at a book, a popular text on vitamin D, it's like, oh yeah, I know where that chart came from. I remember seeing that chart in you know in the original source material. <laughs> wow. Um, so uh, this is chapter thirteen, where he's talking about non-calcemic actions of 125-D-hydroxyvitamin D3. Okay, that's the, that's the output from our liver. I'm sorry, the output from our kidney, the, the, the final stage, which is this powerful steroid hormone. And he says, um, uh, uh, under historical perspective, when 125-OH2D was discovered, it was assumed that specific vitamin D receptors would be present in calcium-regulating organs including the intestine, bone, and kidney. Um, in 1979, Stumpf et al., and then he has a reference to uh, the back of the chapter where he talks about that study, reported on the localization of radio-labeled vitamin D in, um, in vitamin D-deficient tissues and found that the radio-labeled vitamin D was localized in the nuclei of cells in the small intestine, kidney, and bone exactly as expected. But remarkably, they also found by audio, audio radiographic analysis of frozen sections of tissues that this radio tagged vitamin D was also present in cells in the gonads, thymus, pituitary gland, pancreas, stomach, breast, teeth, placenta, and skin. This observation was the impetus for the identification of the vitamin D receptors called VDRs at, then this is at the genetic level in all of these tissues, as well as in several tumor cell lines of leukemia, breast cancer, melanoma, squamous cell carcinoma, colon cancer, and prostate cancer. Mm. VDR activity was also detected in cells related to immunity, including circulating monocytes, activated T and B lymphocytes, and macrophages, which is all part of our the way our immune system functions. So to give some sense for, for what is beginning to be understood 
Uh, I've just jumped to chapter 22 under epidemiology of cancer risk and vitamin D. Um, It reads, a nested case control study was conducted using subjects from the Johns Hopkins Operation Clue cohort. This cohort consisted of 25,620 um, health adult residents of Washington. Yeah, it's a, it does says health adult. It, health, it should be healthy, health, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy adult residents of Washington County, Maryland, who provided samples of serum, meaning their blood, between 1974 and 1975. Serum samples were thawed for all cases of colon cancer. So what happened is decades later, this study was done. So the um, serum samples from back in 74, 75 were thawed for all cases of colon cancer and for two controls per case, meaning other people who did not have colon cancer and matched for age, race, sex, county of residence and date of serum collection. Sarah, meaning plural of serum blood samples were Analyzed blindly for 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Okay, that's that main circulating vitamin D, which is what's measured. That's the output of the liver before it goes into the kidney. That's sort of the the, the storage form. Individuals whose 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels were greater than 20 nanograms per milliliter, and I'll talk about these numbers in a second. Get this greater than 20 nanograms per milliliter, had one-third the risk of colon cancer. Wow. One-third. One-third the risk of colon cancer compared with those with lower concentrations. Um, Okay. So there's one. Uh, A different study. um, This this is um, from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, 2004. Reads most to give some context. I'll I'll sort of give a little more uh, coming into this. Most humans depend on sun exposure to satisfy their requirements for vitamin D. Solar ultraviolet B photons, that is UVB, are absorbed by seven dehydrocholesterol in the skin, leading to its transformation to pre-vitamin D3, which is rapidly converted to vitamin D3. Season, latitude, time of day, skin pigmentation, aging, sunscreen use. And glass, that is the presence of, you know, glass between you and the sun, since UVB is blocked by glass, all influence the cutaneous production of vitamin D3. Once formed, vitamin D3 is metabolized in the liver to 25-hydroxy vitamin D, and then in the kidney to its biologically active form, 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency is an unrecognized epidemic among both children and adults. In the United States, vitamin D deficiency not only causes rickets among children, but also um, precipitates and exacerbates osteoporosis among adults and causes the painful bone disease osteomalacia. Vitamin D deficiency has been associated with increased risks of deadly cancers, cardiovascular disease, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and type 1 diabetes mellitus. Maintaining blood concentrations of 25-hydroxy vitamin D above 80 nanomoles per liter, which is, the, 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 in, in the literature, sometimes they, des- they describe the concentration as, as nanomoles per liter, but often also as nanograms per milliliter. Um, the, the conversion is 
So 80 nanomoles per liter is about 30 nanograms per milliliter. Um, says not only is the maintenance greater than that important for maximizing intestinal calcium absorption, but also may be important for providing the extra renal 1-alpha hydroxylase that is present in most tissues to produce 125-D-hydroxyvitamin D3. What he's saying there is that this, this is necessary for vitamin D to act directly on all these other tissues rather than being used for, for calcium regulation, calcium homostasis. Although chronic excessive exposure to sunlight increases the risk of non-melanoma skin cancer, the avoidance of all direct sun exposure increases the risk of vitamin D deficiency, which can have serious consequences. Monitoring serum 25-hydroxyvitamin D concentrations yearly should help reveal vitamin D deficiencies. Um, so that's sort of a, a bit of overview. But here's another, um, this is a, um, uh, this is titled Prospective Study of Predictors of Vitamin D Status and Cancer Incidence and Mortality in Men. And I'm going to skip the preamble and just, just um, and I have all of this. I've got links to all of this um, on uh, the, the page at GRC. It says, from multivariate models, an increment of 25 nanomoles per liter in, pre- in predicted vitamin D level was associated with a 17% reduction in total cancer incidence. Um, uh, I got lost my track here. Oh, can, uh, incidence. Um, and they go into the, the statistics. Um, a 29% reduction in total cancer mortality with a relative risk of, of 0.71. That is, if you had an increase in serum D levels, um, and a 45% reduction in digestive system cancer mortality, um, 0.55. Um, and then they, they, um, they summarize showing that the results were similar when they controlled further for body mass index and physical activity level. So basically saying that when all other influences were removed, vitamin D level in the blood um, had a direct bearing on cancer incidence. Um, and there's a there's like uh, uh, studies which describe uh, si- similarly that uh, higher levels of vitamin D are are connected to lower levels of many different types of cancer: pancreatic, colon, rectal, uh, stomach, prostate, lung, breast, bladder, uh, uterine, esophageal, kidney, multiple myeloma. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, there was um, one doctor who is at the Atascadero. He, he's a, an, an MD and psychiatrist at the Atascadero uh, State Mental Hospital, uh, John Cannell. Um, because he knew that vitamin D positively influenced mood, um, you know, we've all heard of seasonal affective disorder where people get kind of moody and gloomy in the winter. Um, not surprisingly, when there's much less exposure to sunlight and when the sun is at a greater angle, uh, not um, as often or as much overhead, it turns out that the, the atmosphere absorbs UVB. And so if the sun is not almost directly overhead, uh, you're not getting much vitamin D. So he had his ward 
on vitamin D just for its psychological benefits. A, a flu went through the hospital such that was bad enough that wards needed to be quarantined. Um, he said, I've seen two interviews where he mentions how the ward to one side of him had, had such a flu outbreak that it was quarantined. The ward to the other side of him and the ward across the hall as well as um, on, on the floor below. He knew that there was that his patients had had social interactions with the with the inmates in the other wards, and that the nurses were cross covering his ward and the other wards. So he figured that his people were similarly being exposed to this influenza. Not one single um, patient that he was treating in his ward came down with the flu, wow. despite the fact that it was epidemic. Um, and to the level of quarantine. <clears throat> wow. And now as a, as a consequence, everyone at Atascadero receives vitamin D supplementation because of the, the strong evidence for its um, Im- immunizational effect. So um, I mentioned to you when we were briefly talking about this uh, last week, that there's even a theory now about um where Caucasians came from, because it is believed that humans evolved um, in Africa with deep, dark, melanin-rich skin, which balanced the, um, the, the strength of the equatorial sun. It is now we understand that this hormone, which unfortunately has been mislabeled a vitamin to its you know, I mean, which is, I think, largely responsible for a lot of people thinking, oh, well, you know, I probably get enough of this in my diet. I'm not going to worry about it. This this hormone was was has always been generated by this by our the, the sun's UVB interaction with our skin. And uh, as we evolved, our population grew, we began to migrate away from from equatorial Africa, um, north. What, what we now believe happened is that as we left the equator, we, the, the UVB radiation that we evolved under, I mean, literally just like oxygen, I mean, that, that important, you know, as I run through, I look at all these things that, that we are, beginning to understand are relating to low levels of vitamin D, you might think, wait a minute, you know, how can, how can vitamin D fix that? Well, that's asking the question wrong. It's that we always had much higher levels of vitamin D in our blood than we do now because we evolved naked in the sun. I mean, and, and even, even now here we are in industrialized mode basically living in dark UVB blackout caves, you know, called our homes and offices where no UVB radiation gets in, where we're getting much less sunlight than we were even, even a couple hundred years ago when we were out farming and, and getting, getting exposure to the sun. And of course, unfortunately, even more recently, there's been a, a great public relations campaign warning about the dangers of skin cancer. You must put on sunscreen when you go outside. So, so there have, there's actually been many other things even recently 
which have begun to happen, which confuse people. For example, autism has it's been noted that it's on the rise. One theory is that, oh, well, we're just diagnosing it more. We're more aware of it. So we're more, you know, we're, we're, we're looking more closely. However, what they have found is that the incidence of autism directly correlates with the latitude of the mother of autistic children during pregnancy. The further away mothers are from the equator, hmm. the greater incidence of autism in their children. Now, correlation doesn't equal causation. No, that's a very good point. And, and that's, that, that's something we have to keep in mind. My favorite example of that um, what is that imagine that someone knew nothing about, you know, like, like an alien came down, knew nothing about, uh, you know, the way we operate. And was looking like was like watching the street, a, a random street in New York, and noticed that suddenly everyone put their umbrellas up, and oh look, then windshield wipers all began going on the cars. Well, if you didn't know any better, you didn't understand anything about what was really going on. You could say that raising umbrellas caused windshield wipers, right? Right. To go on when, in fact, it's the other way you know, around. <laughs> it's, it's completely different. I mean, there's related, something yeah. else th- <laughs> yeah. th- that is related. Yeah. But and see, one of the problems with with where we are and I mean, we're we're beginning to understand this, the significance. The problem is that you cannot patent vitamin D that there there. It is incredibly difficult to perform expensive right. study. There's no incentive to do that. Yes, yeah. there there is no financial incentive. Um there was a there was a study that was done so so it, it it's left to universities and and research hospitals that have, you know, limited funding, especially now. There was a study for between the years of 2000 and 2005 that took 1179 women in Nebraska, which I I think I recall is at 41 degrees north latitude. Um, it this, this was a double blind, randomized, uh, placebo controlled study. That's the gold standard of studies. Um, it it gave it divided the women in half. It gave half of them a placebo and calcium, and the other half 1,100 IU per day of vitamin D and calcium. If you ignore, oh, and these, these were all, these were in, in the year 2000 when this began, they were all, as far as anyone knew, cancer-free. If you ignore and throw out the first year of any cancers that were found on the premise that those were already in the process of developing, during the rest of this study, the women who were taking the vitamin D plus calcium um, had point two three percent incidence of any type of cancer point two three is that i presume that's well below normal compare no i mean compared to the other half of the women oh i see so so if 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 the other half of the women were you established their rate as 1.0 so it's it's less than one quarter the number of incidence of cancer so you know these studies exist they, you know, they're, they're, they're being published in, you know, by Harvard and, and conducted by Harvard in the, in the American Journal of, of Clinical Nutrition. I mean, you know, not flaky, um, you know, 
strange publications that no one no one's heard of, you know, major fundamental research. But the problem is you can't patent vitamin D. The other problem is that the rate of production of vitamin D as we age really falls off. Now, I should mention something that I haven't said before, and that is that just this morning I had my fourth weekly test. Um, the, the, uh, we did, I didn't get in the mail my third results, which would have indicated where I was after my second week. But what I did starting four weeks ago, I'm sorry, three weeks ago, today, literally, was I had my, a, a reference vitamin D level taken. I knew after all the research I was doing that I was going to be putting myself on vitamin D to a, mu- a much greater level of vitamin D than is in my multivitamin. One of the problems with supplementation, and there is a problem with supplementation, is that vitamin D can be toxic in very high doses. Um, it is fat-soluble, so it's not excreted from our body on, on an ongoing basis. So like any fat-soluble vitamin, there's a, a concern that it will build up in your tissues over time. Um, nobody has ever become vitamin D toxic from sun exposure, but it, is, it has been determined that, for example, half an hour in the sun will generate about 10,000 IU, 10,000 international units worth of vitamin D, which then over the course of a couple of days enters your bloodstream. Well, I knew that I was going to be starting, I was going to be adding some substantial vitamin D to my daily regimen after all this research that I have done. Um, but I had no idea what my current vitamin D level was, and I wanted to play with generating it by the sun because once I started supplementing, once I added vitamin D to my diet, well, I would never stop. And there were, there were other things that I had added where I was thinking, gee, I wish I'd taken a measure beforehand so I could, you know, know what it was before. So I thought, well, let's, let's sort of play with this. So I found out to my tremendous shock that I am, or well, am as far as I know, even now, uh, substantially deficient. Um, there's four levels of, of vitamin D terminology they, there's, there's, they, the, the, the medical community uses. You have deficiency, then you have insufficiency, sufficiency, and toxicity. So you obviously don't want to be toxic. You don't want too much. What you want is to be sufficient and really neither insufficient nor deficient. And I am deficient. I mean, I'm, really? I, I have a, a great... Uh, a, a great diet. I eat lots of salads. I like fish. I, I sort of avoid meat. I'm not afraid of it, but you know, I'm doing everything I should. I I have regular annual checkups. Uh, my cholesterol is where it should be. Blood pressure is where it should be. Uh, a little higher than I would like it, but it turns out that adequate levels of vitamin D lowers blood pressure. In fact, it turns out that there is a seasonal sine wave cycle of blood pressure, the the extent the, the 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 amplitude of the sine wave varies with latitude, and it is synchronized to the calendar. Vitamin it is well uh, known that wow. blood pressure goes down in the summer and goes up in the winter. It is wow. also, of course, we know that people tend to get colds in the winter and they get the flu in the winter. Why? 
Well, maybe, and we don't know this, but it's because our vitamin D stores are depleted. Yeah, yeah. There was one study that's, that that attempted to demonstrate that that playing that watching too much television caused <laughs> autism. That is, t- watching TV and autism were were related. And it's interesting because it turns out that the people who did the study didn't actually interview people for how much television they watched. Instead, <laughs> they used the rainfall figures in the area. <laughs> so they correlated to rainfall, not TV watching. That's and they, and they, they said, well, we don't really know how much TV kids are watching, but we figure they're inside. When it's raining, yeah. they're yeah. inside. Yeah. What they were inadvertently doing was they were measuring probably the amount of sun that mm. these kids were getting. And that there, and that's where the correlation was. And in fact, they, when this was pointed out, they have revised their study in order to correct that. So, the the proper level of vitamin D is something which has is is still unknown. Believe it or not, um, the way the RDA, the recommended daily allowance, was established was that because we really didn't know, the one thing we did know was that a tablespoon of cod liver oil would prevent rickets. And since it had been given for so many generations, for so many years, and not caused a problem, they said, well, how much vitamin D is in cod liver oil? It turns out it's 400 IU. So that's what they said. Okay, we'll just say that that's the recommended daily allowance, 400 IU. The problem is that being in the sun for half an hour supposedly generates 10,000 IU, mm. so substantially more. And in fact, studies have been done of, of, li- of lifeguards and farmers in Puerto Rico that measure the actual level of vitamin D they have in their blood. And in this, in this common term of nanograms per milliliter, they're in the order of 50 to 70 so the the current clinical clinically accepted range is thirty two to a hundred a hundred I, I read the study and I've got a link to it on my page where you know the guy who did this who set the thirty two to a hundred and you can read all about how it was established and he says, well, I just set a hundred sort of arbitrarily because it's higher than we generally see in anybody who has a lot of constant sun exposure. Um, we don't know that it shouldn't be higher or, or that any higher level is toxic, but, you know, it would seem that 100 is sort of a good place because, you know, that's all we know at this point. Anyway, my first test showed me at 23.6 nanograms per milliliter, and a week later, after a week of sun, where I'm spending half an hour in noonday sun completely exposed, I mean, 100%, baby, you know, the way I was born, um, dropped to 21.3. Hmm. Um, I get, I'm guessing that this is just, you know, that it's just the tolerance of the lab test. Um, I'm, I'm, I hoped by this time to have the results of the second week, which be, would be the third test. And a week from now, I should have the results uh, after the third week of the fourth. But for whatever reason, it doesn't look like I'm seeing any production. In the studies I've read, um, when you do get sufficient sunlight, your vitamin D level jumps up. It does take, you know, 
many weeks for it to reach whatever whatever maximum it's going to. So it's sort of an exponential rise. But I would have certainly expected to see something after seven days of of regular exposure. It looks to me like I'm unable to produce vitamin D um, through being out in the sun. It's disturbing to me that after five years with my internist, my doctor who was assigned to me, I mean, he was fast to give me a blood test, an immediate, a, a so-called CBC, a complete blood count, to look at all of the things that are you know, typically um, considered. Um, I know exactly what my HDL and LDL and triglycerides and, and you know, all that stuff is. He never checked my vitamin D. Huh. Now, maybe if something were like really off, like my, my blood calcium was off, he would have said, well, let's check your vitamin that's, D. That's what Dr. Mom was saying is what, what about your, your serum ionized calcium? Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's where it should be. Um, so Interesting. Maybe, that, maybe that would have, have brought him to do it, right. but one of the, but you know, clearly I'm, I'm in a level now that is, is way low based on, based on current thought. I would like to be, raise my 21 to something between 50 and 70 so, and somewhere, you know, like, like 60 being a goal. And you know, that's what I, I will likely begin doing. And you think that sunbathing is the key? No, no, no. This was remember. This was just an experiment. The, okay. the, I I only wanted because there's to, other risks associated with that, of course. Well, yes, there are. There are three type. Interestingly, there are three types of skin cancer. You have uh, squamous cell carcinoma, basal cell carcinoma, and malignant melanoma. Malignant melanoma is the cancer that everyone worries about. Right. Um, interestingly, though, it generally appears on areas of the skin that are covered by clothing. Probably because statistically, most of us have you know more than um, you know the, the majority of our skin covered. The squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma is the kind that we see on our hands, arms, and face. It's also the kind that that you know that your dermatologist can freeze off easily, and it's not a big deal as, as long as you've got someone looking at your skin from time to time. You know, to like your doctor takes a look at you to make sure that. You don't have any of that. So the UV radiation um, definitely damages skin. It can be carcinogenic, and it does generate vitamin D. Um, What is believed is that as we migrated away from the equator, because we are so dependent upon vitamin D that it became a powerful natural selection factor in our evolution and with you know it, we we know that that our evolution our evolution take took millions and millions of years it looks like from from the studies that we've done that that as we left the equator and 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 populations moved north up into europe that we depigmented in something like several tens of thousands of years, maybe like 50,000 years, because suddenly that the the high melanin content we had, which was protecting us from the sun of the, at the equator was also now blocking our ability to produce vitamin D, which is a critical, I mean, an absolutely critical component, I believe of, of human health. We know when it's really low, 
that you you develop chronic problems with calcium management and bones. Your your body takes calcium from your bones to preferentially manage your blood calcium level because that's even more important. So your bones represent essentially a a, a, a calcium well or or you know a calcium repository that if you don't have enough vitamin D and or calcium in your diet, you know, that's there are mechanisms that'll pull calcium from your bones, which you don't want. But now we're learning that there are that it's very likely that this very powerful and necessary hormone is has been incorporated into many other systems in our body. And I imagine that many of us listening to this podcast are in the same position I was. I mean, I'm I'm not a sunbather. Um, I'm not out in the sun. I actually, you know, I mean, I get a little bit of sun. I'm not afraid of it. Um, and I'm, I want to make sure I don't burn. But the problem is that, again, we're, we're, we're in a, we're in a information deficit because, because studying these things costs money right? and you can't patent, you can't patent the sun. You can't patent there's, sunlight. There's an analog because, uh, uh, we know that salt is very good for treating a lot of things like, uh, cold sores and so forth, but nobody's going to study that. Because salt is free and cheap and unpatentable. Well, what's really interesting is there are vitamin D analogs, which the pharmaceutical company are exploring. Sure, yeah. It, uh-huh. They're making little tiny can make tweaks. money on that. Yeah. Exactly, because that they can patent. And in fact, uh, the there are now some effective uh, psoriasis medications, which are which, which are all based on vitamin D analogs. So they tweak the molecule a little bit. There is a problem with high levels of vitamin D because it, as I mentioned, it is toxic in really high levels, but they want to, they want to use this, the, the, the very powerful, the 125 D hydroxy vitamin D, which is what your kidney produces. They have found that it is extremely good at fighting cancer. The problem is if you gave someone enough of it to fight cancer, it would turn you into limestone. So, you know, that's not a good thing. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to to find a variant of this vitamin D, which will have the effects they want and mitigate the effects they don't. If they can do that, then they can patent it and create a new drug. Um, You know, I'm not averse at all to using the medical system if I need to. I'd much rather stay healthy, not need, you know, major surgical intervention of any kind. And so, you know, vitamin D will be part of my regimen going forward. And, you know, the, the takeaway I think would be to, for for those listeners who have a doctor, who are the kinds of people who know what their cholesterol is and so forth. Next time you go say, Hey, let's find out what my vitamin D level is. And I'm sure that if my doctor knew that I was 21, he'd say, oh, uh, I mean, even the even the blood test results sh- shows the level 32 to 100 and shows me as as, you know, extremely low. He would have said, oh, well, we probably need to put you on some vitamin D, give you some vitamin D supplementation and we'll retest in 90 days. Um, I, I, there's no indication that it could hurt. And my sense is uh, it can only help. So you're going to start taking supplements? 
Yes. Um, yeah. In fact, today I did my last. I've done my three weeks in the sun. I don't have. The <laughs> I results. still like getting the sun. Now I have Italian skin, and so and of course I get checked every year for 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 skin cancer. But yep. I like getting some sun. I just it feels well. Good. It turns out that it also it also releases being in the sun re- releases a um uh. Shoot, it's a form of narcotic. Yay! Uh, um, <laughs> no wonder it feels so good. You don't know. I mean, again, it, it's it's not surprising. That, I mean, we, we were meant to be in the sun. We evolved in the sun. I think more than anything else, yeah, as yeah. from a it's a natural. The, it does. It feels good. It feels like this is where I should be. Same thing with the ocean. I feel good when I'm at the ocean. This well, is and, where I should be. And you know, I mean, we grew up with our parents saying, "Oh, go outside and get some sunshine." Yeah, not anymore. It's good for you. Not anymore. Not oh, anymore. Our kids are slathered with sunscreen. They wear big bonnets. I mean, that's the, they don't get the sun anymore. Yep. I mean, so there really has been a change. There are there is study after study that demonstrates that that cancer, um, autism, allergies, diabetes, there an amazing number of maladies have latitudinal correlations. And they, and they've even noticed, for example, that even at a high latitude, if you're at high altitude, then the incidences of these problems drop right. because you've got less atmosphere between you and the sun. And the other problem is you cannot get sun in the in the sun that matters in the morning or in in the afternoon. It's got to be when the sun is almost directly overhead. Oh, that's interesting. The, uh. the reason is that there's this. There's this there's this beautiful gap in in atmospheric absorption right through what we not surprisingly call the visible spectrum. And, you know, if we call it the visible spectrum because that's what we see. But you'll notice we don't see in the ultraviolet. I mean, the ultraviolet and the visible are like they're the same range of radiation. We don't see in the ultraviolet because it's dark most of the time. In the ultraviolet, it's only briefly light for a few hours around noon, and then the the sun's angle becomes such that the UV radiation, the UVB, which is between two ninety and about three twenty nanometers, it's almost completely cut off. So evolution would never give us vision that is only useful for a couple hours during the day. Instead, we see in the visible spectrum where um, which is not absorbed the way UVB is, um, and so we're able to, see, you know, for example, hunt by moonlight or see from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun sets, which is, you know, much more useful. It, but at the same time, that visible radiation doesn't have the energy and doesn't have the wavelength to interact with us chemically the way UVB does. So we we need that UV ra- ra- that UV radiation. And again, I want to make sure that people understand I'm not suggesting, I'm not promoting spending time in the sun. It's, uh, I was about to say that I've read some studies, but again, we're in a study deficit here, that say that by the age of 50, our ability to produce vitamin D cutaneously, endogenously in our skin has fallen by half. And that by the age of 65, it's down to 25% of what it was. So you cannot get the D you need through sunlight. And you did notice, uh, maybe you weren't kidding, that I'm a little tanner. I've been, you know, I was looking at how much sun I was getting and whether I was tanning. I'm, after three weeks of half an hour a day, I have tanned a bit. Not too much, 
But the problem is tanning is a regulating mechanism. Tanning is the production of this melanin polymer, which is 99.9% efficient at absorbing UVB. Melanin absorbs UVB and turns it harmlessly into heat. So it protects our skin from DNA damage. Unfortunately, it also protects it from generating vitamin D. Interesting. So here's the problem. I'm clearly receiving enough sun because I'm adapting to it. My skin is darkening, which is which is my body's attempt to downregulate the amount of UVB radiation that I receive. In the process, it's downregulating my ability to produce vitamin D. So my point is that as I get older and my and and what happens is we lose the cholesterol in our skin. You know how like you're so so called you get thin skin. Mm-hmm. You know it, it is it is a loss of cholesterol in our skin, which which reduces um, our ability to produce vitamin D. Yet we're still going to be able to get tan. You don't lose your ability to tan. So what that says is that when you're when you're no longer young and able to produce as much vitamin D as you did, no amount of sun can can give it to you because your body is going to tan and downregulate not only, well, downregulate all the UVB that, that gets into your skin and to further cut off D. So I think the only solution is to monitor your vitamin D levels and supplement. Now, the good news is because... It's not patented because it's inexpensive to make. It's very inexpensive. A um, one of my favorite suppliers is a company called Now Foods, and my favorite uh, place for buying stuff is iHerb.com. They're great service, great delivery, very good prices. Um, uh, Now Foods has a five thousand IU vitamin D which uh, their label recommends you take one every three days. Um, taking vitamin D infrequently like that works because it has uh-huh. on the order of a, about a three or four week half-life in our body. It, it lasts a long time because it's fat soluble. So our liver takes it up and our fat tissues, all of our adipose tissues uh, dissolve the vitamin D it's very easy to swallow because remember how concentrated it is. We're only talking about micrograms of D. It's made by in huge vats of olive oil uh, because it's fat soluble. So they use it. They start with a huge vat of olive oil. You know, pour a carefully measured amount of vitamin D in, then dilute. You know, then then dissolve that vitamin D, and then they produce these little tiny gel caps. So, 120 of those costs $8.80. Well, if you take one every three days, that's a year's supply of vitamin D in a useful dose. That would be 1,666 IU per day. The U.S. government has said that even that 2,000 IU per day is is an absolutely safe dose. Uh, Many nutritionists feel that that's way too low, but, you know, follow the label um, and then you're getting a useful amount of vitamin D for eight dollars and eighty cents for a year. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I just if if I you know there's I've looked at this stuff and if I had to take one thing if I if I were I was I was going to say on a desert island but even on a desert island I don't think I can any longer make a sufficient amount of vitamin D 
by getting by by being in the sun because I'm going to tan and that's mm-hmm. going to cut off what I would have been able to make. Is there a uh, risk to supplementing? The, the Can you risk, overdo it? Yes. The, 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 the risk is at the high end. And in fact, this is the conundrum is that our government has our government does put D in stuff. Um, it puts milk. D in milk. And the are we getting because we're all drinking Starbucks, getting a lot more milk than ever before? You know? Well, here's the problem is milk has actually gone out of fashion uh, and we're not drinking no. the kind of milk we do. Believe it or not, Ricketts has made a comeback in the last few years. That's unbelievable. Because children are not drinking milk. Parents soda are not. pop. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, f- uh, sugary fruit drinks. So. The government puts the, the government mandates that 400 IU be put in a quart of milk. And the and the, the problem is you would have to drink about 10 quarts of milk a day <laughs> okay, in order to much. get a physiologically useful amount of vitamin okay. D. But here's the problem. If the government because this is a powerful steroid hormone. Right. If the government they can't put raise, more in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If the government did raise the levels of 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 d that were in our food supply there's a wide variation in the amount of different types of food that different people eat right. maybe there is someone who drinks quarts of milk a day and so they could milk. be doing themselves harm if they had too much of it if there was too if much they were of the supplementing milk, and they drank four quarts a day and they were getting out in the sun and, and on and on yeah and on. i mean i i think that the only i mean the really responsible thing to do is to get a test um, that the you you can uh, you could buy your own as I have been doing. Oh really? Oh these aren't uh, with your doctor. No. Um, these, do you draw blood? How do you get? Oh yeah, I go to a lab every Wednesday morning uh, to to LabCorp. Uh, there there's a, a a group called Life Extension Foundation, lef dot org. Um, they offer retail blood uh, testing services. So you pay them. They mail you the forms. And then you take that to a lab nearby. They take a vial of blood. And then about five days later, normally, this was late in this third test, but normally it takes five days and you get the results. And so, and it's, I think it's $67 for a non-member, uh, 47 for a member. So if you were going to do several of these, it may, uh, I think membership is $75 a year. So you get a discount. Um, See, so, I know what people listening. I, I what I'll do is I'm not going to get tested. I'm just going to go out and buy some vitamin D tabs. Is that a bad idea? I don't think so. Um, it, as long as you follow the label, you can't. You cannot be toxic because don't overdo you, it. For example, Walgreens will ha- will have a thousand IU, and it'll say it'll probably say take one or two a day, and, and you know, and you know, follow the label, and you're fine. This five thousand IU. From now foods says take one every three days because I mean, well, for example, because it has the half life, it does some doctors will mega dose their patients monthly, like give them a hundred thousand IU, but I'm not recommending that you absolutely would only do that under a doctor's care. But my point is that you can take a large dose and then let it be, be acquired by your system and then used over time. Mm-hmm. As your blood level drops, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, it's just easier for me, for example, to, to do one every three days, or I, I will be monitoring my blood level. So I will probably take more because I, I'm want, in, wanting to find out 
what level I need to take in order to put my blood where it should be. So again, um, ask your doctor where, you know, for a, a vitamin D test, get one for yourself or think about, you know, getting some real D. I should mention that there are two types of D that you can purchase. There's D2, which is called ergol, ergocalcifetrol, or D3, which is, um, uh, I've, I can't, uh, cholecalcifetrol. D3 is what we make. Cholecalcifetrol is the only kind you really want to take. It is, um, it is essentially biologically identical to what we manufacture. There is some concern, for example, um, I think it's not kosher, believe it or not, because it's made from, it's made by irradi- irradiating the lanolin from lamb's wool. Mm. Um, ergol, ergocalciferol is made from irradiating um, fungus. So it's 100% plant-based, but it's, it's vitamin D2. And some studies have said that it only raises your vitamin D levels about 25% as high as D3. So D3, which is what we make when sun hits our skin, is substantially more effective than D2. So I imagine what you would find, you know, for example, this Now Foods um, D uh, vitamin D is vitamin D3. Walgreens, drugstores in their little health section, uh, what you want to look for is the cholecalciferol. And, you know, a 1,000 milligrams per day is without question safe the u.s government says that um up to 2000 is safe nutritionists believe safe dosages are far higher i wouldn't go there unless you know you knew what your blood levels were you want to make sure it is possible to be hypersensitive to vitamin d there are some some genetic um uh conditions that would could that could cause complications at much higher levels. Yeah, we should emphasize we're not physicians. You should yes. check with your physician before you do anything, um, and and probably ask your physician to you know what he thinks and and get a D test. Yeah. Is there, are I, there natural food sources? I like to get this stuff from food. Can I eat a lot of broccoli or something? No, that's just it, Leo. It is not, not in our food supply. It the it's interesting. The only way the uh, Eskimos were able to keep their relatively high level of pigmentation is eating oily fish. Right. They have a diet high in, in, in fish and, and, um, uh, and, and it's the, the, the fish is the only source. A three and a half ounces of salmon has about, I think it's 380 IU of vitamin D. Uh, and again, I, there are, are studies that have been done that estimate we use about 4,000 IU a day. I've, I've seen the n- numbers like 3,800, 4,000, something like that. So again, you would need to be eating a, an awful lot of salmon, you know, 10, what, what, 35 ounces of salmon a day, at, which you might get tired of after a few days. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it might not be good for you for other reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so also it turns out that, um, cod liver oil is really n- not the best source. It does it does give you vitamin D. It also contains another the the other fat soluble vitamin, vitamin A, and a lot of vitamin A uh, can be a problem. And it also it, it, vitamin A 
genetically looks very much like vitamin D, and it can. It there have been reports that say that A can block the positive effects of vitamin D. Um, that is on on uh, other than on calcium metabolism, where we know that it's effective. So, um, uh, getting A in the form of of beta carotene is really what you want because your body is able to convert as much as it needs over to A. Um, anyway, you know that's my readout on D. I think it's important. It's not a vitamin. It's I think it's it's had a bad rap by being misnamed a vitamin by you know by early early medical. Right. Uh, science that didn't know, you know, what it was, but just said, "Oh well, it's a nutritional thing because it's in 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 cod liver oil." In fact, it's not anywhere else in our diet hmm. because we evolved in the sunlight. We need it; otherwise, all kinds of things stop not working as well as they should. And there was, in fact, it was funny. I was talking to some friends at Starbucks a week or two ago, and a, and a, one one of the people said they'd just seen a news blurb. Uh, saying that 70% of of U.S. children are vitamin D deficient. I mean, wow. it it is a problem, but but the, pro- the the conundrum is because it is a powerful hormone, we can't put it in our food supply. Right. We right. we weren't meant to get it really in our food right. supply. There's barely enough now to prevent rickets, and it's not even doing that anymore because people aren't you know they're staying away from dairy products more than they should. Um, but if we put a lot more in, then there'd be, a, there'd be the possibility that, that people could reach toxic levels of it. So, I mean, it, it needs to be done. You know, young people in the sun is probably what you want to do, although there's a concern about skin cancer, which is, is, is to some degree warranted. Um, so I don't really see a way other than uh, using supplements and doing it with care and wisely. Um, I think it's important. Steve Gibson, you know, this is a little bit of a departure for the show, but I think a fascinating topic. Uh, and uh, I could see why you were uh, anxious to share it with us. Thank you. Well, so I didn't I didn't give the uh, Web page. I'm in the process as I record this of I have a lot of it. All the pages are assembled here at home. I haven't yet put them up on the site, but it'll just be grc.com slash health. All right. And that will get anybody who wants to read this research. I've got, I've captured PDFs of all of this. They're all online. People can poke around, uh, read this for themselves. Um, and I, I hope uh, maybe I've given, if nothing else, people something to think about. Well, I'm going to run out and get some vitamin D. I can tell you that right now. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Steve's page is grc.com. That's where you'll find SpinRight, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery uh, program. If he won't do it, I will. I'll plug it. Uh, also, lots of great free stuff. And and uh, by the time you hear this, probably, grc.com slash health for yep. all the uh, notes from this. You'll also find, if you go to GRC, uh, 16 kilobit versions of this show. So you can, you know, for people who don't have a lot of bandwidth, we've got transcripts you can share with friends. Uh, it's all there at grc.com. We're here. We do this show live. You're invited to join us every Wednesday uh, we do it around 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, on live.twit.tv. And, of course, you can download the show uh, after the fact from uh, iTunes and all the other podcast aggregators. It's absolutely free. But uh, join us uh, Tuesdays at uh, 2 p.m. or Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Uh, live.twit.tv. And One thing Steve, I did want to add yes. is that uh, to, to send me stuff is grc.com slash feedback. And I would be very interested in any feedback that people have about this topic. Next week is our Q&A. 
Um, I would imagine that uh, if there's sufficient interest in this, as will be demonstrated by feedback on the topic, um, that the Q&A will be uh, wrapping up loose ends about this, which Good. would be great. Right. Steve, have a sunny and lovely day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leo. And we'll see you next time on Security Now. Security Now.